Are you somebody that likes to take risks? Um, I'm not so sure, actually. I wouldn't really say they're, they're great risks. I think my friends would call me a little bit boring. But <laughs> I think in general, I like to do something new, but maybe not risky in terms of uh, life or financial or yeah. you know, anything like that. Because they're the sorts of areas, aren't they? Finances, uh, spending, uh, relationships. Sometimes we know we're with somebody that, and we know it's not healthy. That we know they're perhaps not good for us or even we're doing something wrong. But people do it anyway. So we're going to explore why that is, what happens to individuals, to the human psyche that will lead us towards that red flag rather than walk away from it and change your path, your course. Uh, But, you know, sometimes it's good to take a risk. So it's about measuring, isn't it? What's good for us, what the outcome could be, what might potentially turn out to be very bad. Measuring that risk and how you then make the decisions you do. So let us know your thoughts on this 4001. The danger areas, so finances could be dangerous Mm -hmm. for people if they've not got the funds but they're spending anyway or borrowing anyway, something we were talking about earlier this week with financial consultant Karen Bobka. People like to shop. Some people even have a problem with shopping. They can't stop. It could be an addiction. Right, and you know... um Interestingly enough, Andreas Wilkie, who's an an, uh, evolutionary psychologist and an expert actually on uh, risk takers and decision makers, he actually says that there are five major areas that people take risks in, and that's in uh, finance, health and safety, recreation, ethical and social aspects. So that has to do with a lot of what you're saying. So spending, for instance, this would go under financial. Uh, Driving too fast would go under uh, recreational or even health and safety. So these are the kind of areas that people... Um, decide to take risks but not everybody takes risks in all factors you know they have very domain specific uh, risk I mean specificity so they what they will what they'll end up doing is they'll take a risk in let's say the financial part of their life but they won't take a risk in their health Mm. or their safety so it really depends on the person so some people and and one of I mean one of the main things that he says is is what you just said Suzanne was that people have to perceive it to be dangerous for them to consider it dangerous and this is one of the big issues between people who are bigger risk takers is that sometimes they don't perceive whatever it is that they're about to do as dangerous whereas somebody else might that's very interesting isn't it that you think that as a as a human being as a personality type or whatever your psychology psychological makeup is is that if you're going to be risky or take risks in one area you're probably going to take risks in lots of different kinds of areas but what you're saying is that's not necessarily the case there's a propensity towards certain things so for some somebody might be uh, you know a habitual uh, person that has to be in a relationship all the time and has affairs and that's what they do but they might be incredibly conservative when it comes to how they manage their money or indeed how they um you know make decisions in their working life right exactly and so you know the like you said the um the myth is is that if you're if you're sort of risky in one thing you're risky in everything but that's not necessarily the case for all people i mean there are people that are like that definitely but there are also some people that will just take a a specific let's say a financial risk so think of it on a smaller scale so let's say you have you know you're working at a job you have a family everything's going okay and then you decide to to make an investment that's pretty risky that nobody would do but you're just taking that risk and that happens to be your sort of trend is that when it comes to investments you're very risky you'll take the big risks but in everything else in your life you won't and so that is your propensity your propensity is more towards 
financial risks than any other type of risks. So there's the risk taker where it comes to danger and where danger might be lying in your life. And then there might be other things that are potentially dangerous. So uh, stress is up there on many of the lists as being dangerous to people's health. Um, Other things that could be dangerous in just the way you socialize. Um, you're not necessarily taking any risks, but the people you're hanging out with might mm-hmm. not be the best crowd for you. Of course. And, you, you know, some people, they forget that it, the risk doesn't have to be taken by you for it to be dangerous to you. So, for instance, if you are in a in a situation where uh, you're surrounded by people who are drinking too much and driving or, or you're surrounded by people who are taking illegal drugs, you may not necessarily be taking the risk, but you're surrounded by people who are, which still puts you in danger. So this is this is something also that people need to consider is that danger is not necessarily your behavior alone. It's also the behavior of the society that you surround yourself with. Okay, well, let's take a look then at the risk takers and what leads you down a certain pathway in certain areas. You know, the thrill of the chase, if it's to do with a relationship or the thrill of you know, making money if you're gambling, you know, winning money, and then how you feel when you're losing money. Um, Let's explore that a little bit. Well, if we want to look at the genetics, the genetic sort of makeup of people who are more likely to take risks, we need to look at four different factors. And so these are, I mean, when it comes to risk takers, that's sort of the lame in terms of we sort of, in, in psychology, we think of it as sensation seekers. Okay. And it's usually novelty sensation seekers. And there are four major aspects that we look at. And one of them has to do with personality traits. Um, the other one is the dopamine receptor 4 gene. Then monoamine oxidase, which is MAOs, and also the sex hormone testosterone. So these are four things that we look at. And when it comes to personality, we we find that... Just explain what they are. Yes, of course. Yes, in details, to go through them one by one. So when it comes to personality traits, usually the, the misconception is that people who are neurotic are the ones that take higher risks. But that's actually not the case. What we find with personality is people who have um, a higher impulse sensation seeking or are higher in aggression or a higher in sociability these are the people who are more likely to take risks also when it comes to the second part which i had mentioned which is the dopamine receptor 4 gene which is we it's shortened for dr uh, drd4 actually if you watch one of the car commercials on um on some of the OSN uh, networks, you'll actually see that they mention it for the car commercial. And so what this DRD4 gene does, we've found that there's a link between this gene and sensation seekers. And this is the dopamine gene, and they sort of call it the reward. Um, uh, It's it's basically the same. It's what gives you the high. Of, of that rush, that thrill, that amazing feeling that you get when something happens to you and, you know, your blood pumps and your heart races and, and, your, and your breathing becomes heavier, you know, so that feelings. But what we found is that that gene itself doesn't directly lead to a trait or to the behavior or risk taking. But what it does do is that it, it contributes to it. Now, another thing, a third thing that contributes is the monoamine oxidase, which is what I discussed a little bit earlier. And what that is, it's just, it's um, basically what we found is that people that are have low MAOs are high sensation seekers. So what that does is that it doesn't regulate your impulse. And what's interesting is that women actually have a higher amount of MAOs than men do, which is why we find that men are more risk takers than women are. Interesting. Because women are able to regulate and sort of control their impulses much more than men are. And then finally, there's the sex hormone, the testosterone. And what we find is that obviously it's high in sensation seekers, but it's also high in males, but not just any males, 
young males. So those between the ages of 16 and 19, which is which is where we find the greatest sensation seekers are in that age group. And you'll notice that, you you know, you'll see a lot of videos of boys sort of jumping off cars or like, you know, doing really bad tricks, drinking too much, partying too hard during that age group. And that's um, and usually they say that that's the reason why the armies like them around that age is because not because it's they may it makes them more aggressive, but it's because they they don't have that um, that fear of something happening to them. So they're willing to take extra risks. So that's the age group that most people tend to look at and say, well, this is the highest risk takers. So you'll you'll notice that there are a lot of contributing factors when it comes to people when describing people that may be. Um, have a higher propensity towards risk taking. It sounds very complicated, but it's actually, you know, what you'll realize is these are all contributing factors. They don't cause risk taking. They don't um, sort of guarantee a person to be a risk taker, but they definitely do contribute to it. And we're looking at danger and what that means in our life and how to recognize it and recognize in you uh, where you're at, as in, are you a risk taker? Is that a good thing? Is it depending what you're taking risks in in your life? And what are they? Uh, we look here and see the desire sometimes for people to get that feeling, the sensation seeker. Uh, they love the chase. Uh, what is it about the chase? What is it? And then afterwards, you don't kind of feel so good. Or is it about, also the, you know, the hard to get partner, you know, that chase when it comes to a relationship? Or about the sensation you get when you purchase the latest, I don't know, technology gadget that you just feel fantastic. But then a couple of days later, you want that feeling again to get that fix again. So you go out and buy something else. There's many different reasons and many different things in our lives that actually sometimes we don't think are that dangerous. But we start checking our credit card bills or indeed looking at maybe the past failed relationships in your life where you start to think, hang on a minute, am I like literally the red, that red rag to a bull where I keep going back time and time again and making the same mistakes. Dr. Thuraya, when we are, and actually an interesting message came in from Rachel. She was saying, what about modern day explorers and entrepreneurs, people like Richard Branson, Steve Fawcett, where do they fit into the equation? Um, Richard Branson, I mean, he's the you know owner of Virgin. And so for, for him, it's a matter of he took financial risks and he might have easily taken um, recreational risk that paid off. At, but he is one of hundreds of thousands of people and you're not hearing the rest of their names. So, and you're not hearing about the failures along the way. Right, exactly. What you hear about are the successes, just like Steve Fawcett, you know, and he was first one to fly solo in a balloon around the world, you know. That is an amazing feat. But do we hear about those that have failed? Not so much. So it's not so much that they might have been sort of addicted to the risk-taking, but maybe that first risk paid off, which led to the second risk, which led to the third risk. And then slowly, slowly, it became almost as as an addiction that they just wanted more and needed more to achieve the same rush. Or it just could be that they got very lucky. <laughs> okay, well, there's a lot in there, isn't right. there? I mean, Steve's texting to say, you have to be a risk taker if you want to become great, but calculate your risk first. And I think that's a very good point to make. Maybe with experience and with the right 
approach and thought and um, in some cases intelligence or even the people that are around you that advise you it's actually what one person looks at somebody else and thinks gosh that's really brave and that was way too risky to that person that's done it it's actually wasn't so risky because I, I really measured the risk I knew what I was doing so there's that side of it then when you're looking at the explorers the adventurers yes that that you've 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 climbed one mountain and you've gone through that physical and mental challenge that when you reach the top and you come down again you want to feel like that again Mm -hmm. and so it's a bigger mountain the next time or a bigger challenge and when we use the word addiction it doesn't always have to be in a negative connotation or does it i don't know psychologically it doesn't i mean i mean yes the the addiction itself has a negative connotation but we're we're talking about the physiological aspect of addiction not necessarily the psychological aspect of addiction as well so just to sort of backtrack to what steve was saying he said to to calculate your risk and that's a very good point but in that sense you're actually making a rational decision rather than taking a risk because you're calculating everything that needs to be done a risk in and of itself is something that you take impulsively. It's something that you take that the odds are against you. So if you're doing something where you've calculated it and where you've really looked at all of the options, and usually you'll notice that for you to get into something like that, it's because the pros outweigh the cons. And in that sense, it's more of a rational decision rather than a risk or an impulsive action. Now, to continue forward to, to the um, to the idea of that addiction, that sort of that rush, that high that you're really interested in getting. You know, a lot of people sort of think uh, risky behavior has to do with jumping off of buildings and, you know, skydiving and, and uh, cliff jumping and dramatic exploits. But in reality, risk-taking behaviors also includes sort of mundane acts such as like gambling or or uh, taking um, illegal drugs or misusing but prescription drugs. Would you drugs. call those mundane acts? Well, in comparison, if you want to compare right. them to each other, right, you're talking about different types of thrills. Okay. But they don't have that same, you know, that same effect when somebody tells, you know, I'm misusing prescription drugs. You're not like, oh, wow, that was cool. Versus if somebody jumps off a building, uh, uh, you know, does base jumping, then you're like, oh, wow, that's really awesome. You know, so it's not that. So when we're talking about mundane, we're talking more on the, on, on how the society perceives it, right? So in that sense, you have to look at what is the nature of, the, of, of us wanting more and more and more of that. Yeah. And when, we, sorry, um, and when we, when we look at that, we have to look at the fact that our physiological makeup actually rewards us for these risk-taking behaviors. So for instance, we have endorphins and uh, adrenaline that acts on our nervous system to produce this like exhilarating high that many people, some more than others, of course, they come to start craving. And, and these kind of um, feelings include, you know, like heart racing, um, deep breathing, um, y- you know, the, the, the sweating. They start, to, they start to have all of these like these physiological changes that eventually people start to you know like crave and 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 start to want more of Mm. i think when you're looking at something like alcohol or drugs there's a chemical thing happening there Mm -hmm. as you know that you're actually you taking a substance an extraneous well i mean substance anyway that is going into your body that's creating an effect on you which 
then maybe leads you to want to go and do it again. Um, something that when you're climbing a mountain or you're base jumping or skydiving is where you are, you know, it, it's not, it, there is a chemical response happening in your body to the activity that you're doing, but it's not necessarily, well, it is chemical as well, but it's right. not a substance. Do you know what I mean? It's not external. Yeah. It's internal. It's sort of your brain's feel good chemical, which is the neurotransmitter dopamine. And dopamine is that feel good neurotransmitter better that that just gives us that craving to want more and more and more and so exactly what you said Suzanne when when we're taking something external and we're we're putting it into our body yes it's chemical yes it's interacting with our body and with our brain but we can stop it that there's a stop right there but when it's internal when it becomes something where the dopamine is just rushing over and over and over again then it becomes something where you have to really work on on rewarding yourself in different different ways, ways yeah and when you're looking at the danger side or the danger uh, possibilities if you're doing something that's a physical challenge that's something you know there is a danger there's a risk to you having an accident and something going wrong and you're hurting your body hurting yourself if you're uh, taking substances alcohol drugs prescription medication what's happening there is where you're going towards potentially becoming what one it's dangerous to your health potentially but two you could be going down a road of addiction where you can't stop taking and that's going to affect your mental and physical health as well right and not just uh you can't stop but you need more you need something bigger so today you 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 know you base jump from a from um from a 10-story building tomorrow you need to base jump from a 20-story building and then higher and higher and higher so it's the same idea it's it's that rush you need that rush over and over and over again becomes addictive you become tolerant to it and then you need more. You need more of it to get that same high, that same rush that you had from the initial first risk that you took. Syed says Abraham Lincoln's life is a great example of how to look beyond failures in life. Recently, some of you will know, I was at the Glastonbury Festival where, of course, I'm there amongst, uh, I don't know, 170 odd thousand people watching bands and lots of entertainment and creativity. But a surprise guest there at Glastonbury was the Dalai Lama marking his 80th birthday. So I managed to uh, get a little close to him and hear his talk. So I recorded it. You can hear some of that uh, just before the end of the show today. But let's go to the phone lines we've got debbie on the line talking about danger and her thoughts and she's been doing some very interesting things lately good morning to you debbie good morning how are you i'm very well thank you so tell me about the gorillas in the mist (laughs) well the only reason i thought of it was what you were speaking about was addiction and danger and for me there was absolutely no danger whatsoever just pure awe of being so close to them, like we were literally inches away and one actually trod on my foot. And when I came home, um, I've been quite amazed. People know I I do different adventures because it stimulates me, it energises me. But what really shocked me in a way, in inverted commas, is how many people have said to me, oh, you were brave. There's no way I would do that. That was so dangerous. And, and it really got me thinking, what is danger for one may not be danger for another. Yeah. And, and the level of trust that I took to the gorillas perhaps is different to the level of trust others would take. So, yeah. Did you ever feel at any moment 
a sense of anxiety or trepidation or fear or was it just complete awe the whole time it was totally complete awe from when you see the babies you know running around and, and tumbling with each other through to what happens is I was in the wander and the guides actually train you beforehand they say if a silverback is coming towards you which they can um, just simply bend or crouch down to show that you're subservient. So at one stage, a silverback was coming towards us, not aggressively. He was making the noise that means he's saying good morning sort of thing, which we had been trained in. And I went to sit down or crouch down, and somebody behind me had already crouched down. So I actually couldn't crouch down because we're in a really tight area. And I remember thinking, okay, just be with it. And that's when it actually walked, literally his hair on his back scraped my, my knees and next thing I felt one of his huge arms, uh, hands, just, it, it went on the front, the toes of my foot, which you're not supposed to do, but I literally couldn't get out of the way. And, and I think he was saying, look, I know you're there and I just want you to know I'm there. So it was like a mutual trust that brought absolute adrenaline for me it was I felt so lucky to be in his world and in their world and, and for and for people who are listening thinking well maybe you were in you know uh, an enclosure or these animals are tame that's not the case is it I mean it clearly there were controlled conditions to a certain extent in that you've got guides with you and they understand the animals and how to behave around the animals but you're there in Rwanda you're there in the in the wild we got the the gist of what was going on there and uh, it is something I guess for some would fill them with horror to be that close to a wild animal yet for others would be the most incredible feeling of as Debbie described awe and you know that goes right back to what Andreas Wilkie was saying is that people respond to a risk or a hazard in ways consistent to their perception of that risk and for Debbie her perception was just awe it was you know, for she just felt beautiful being with these gorillas. At the same time, to be fair, though, she was in a controlled environment. So that is more of what um, Steve was discussing about before as a calculated risk rather than if, if Debbie had just gone to the wild and had been surrounded by silverbacks, would she have had the exact same reaction. And what's, what's it, what it's illustrating there is knowledge Mm -hmm. and research and knowing getting as much information as you possibly can before you enter into a situation where you know could be dangerous because things can still go wrong in that situation and you know it's like doing the challenges with golf for good and all of the people that do challenges with organizations like golf for good where you know we climbed uh, mountains in peru and we were in mongolia in minus 30 degrees that we we there are people on the ground that are helping us who are who know the terrain they understand the weather they are there to guide and help us and give us support but still as we've just seen in nepal things can happen you're there against the elements and something you 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 haven't planned for or something uh, that's not in your hands could happen and so to a certain extent you're putting yourself at risk of course you know um Last December, I traveled to Thailand and I went to um, a tiger kingdom 
and I was with tigers right next to them, holding on to them, spooning with them, and they were none of them were drugged, and they were quite well aware that we were there and some of them were five-year-olds so they were massive 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 tigers and everybody was like oh my god you did something so dangerous and I kept telling them no it wasn't because they grew up with people they're around people so as cubs they're surrounded by people so they understand people and there are people there that are able to take care of them they know if something happens if the tiger gets angry if the tiger decides to pounce at least they know what they need to do so it's a very calculated risk be it that it may be a slight risk but it's very calculated it was a rational decision to to look at doing this instead of just sort of going into the wild and trying to find a tiger to hug. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. I think that's a, that's an interesting point though as well because I think as much about that gaining knowledge because in some circumstances people can choose to you know take a pathway maybe when they're traveling uh, as opposed to a different you know they might go with one company one tour company as opposed to another tour company and just trust because they're called a tour company they know what they're doing mm-hmm. and you need to do your homework you need to check them out you need to check that they've got the right qualifications and the right regulatory organizations behind you so it is about how you make decisions in your life and how you see things in your life so Debbie if you're listening thanks very much for the call and sorry you got cut off but you know what a wonderful experience for Debbie but for someone else would absolutely fill them with horror many of you are talking about this the difference between what is something that's adventurous and something that is risky well some would say it's the, it can be the same thing it's an adventurous thing it's also a risky thing others like we've been talking about it's about measured risk having the, all the information and knowing what you're doing that you've trained properly you've got the knowledge you understand what what's expected and then setting out to achieve that goal Right. And adventures don't necessarily, they can be risky, but they're not necessarily always risky. So you can say, you know, I went um, on an adventurous trip in Italy and you really didn't do anything that was risky. You know, you still still filled with things that were exciting and unusual and different in your life, but not necessarily risky. So some some aspects of adventures can be risky but not all and so, i think it doesn't the two words don't have to go together either right. yeah i mean they can be the same thing but i think if you're looking at in that context it's not about seeking out something that's risky because mm-hmm. that's going to give you a better experience it might be something adventurous for you that's going to give you a better experience maybe the two things are the same but it's interesting using that word somehow it has a different connotation and um, it could be perception as well i mean yeah what could be adventurous for me could be something completely mundane or boring for something else, for somebody else and vice versa. It's very interesting, isn't it? Um, lots of you are texting in on this. Uh, somebody here says, I took my children into a crocodile pit some years ago. I wouldn't do it now. So I wonder why that is. What happened or maybe just seeing what some of the circumstances, you know, you read more in the news, you hear more in the news, you become more aware and either you realise what you've done was really, really dangerous and you shouldn't have done it and you wouldn't do it again or your threshold, your fear threshold changes and uh, you know I remember loving skiing when I was younger I was you know I would ski down those slopes you know now I'm really like mm-hmm. conservative I'm like you know I don't know I don't I have the fear I don't want to go too high I don't want to go too fast so it's interesting how we change right and also I think uh, to add to that because I think she just sent uh, another message adding on to it saying 
She was also in Thailand, but the local expats here looked in horror at the photos. And I think that goes back to the perception because what they're looking at is something very sort of objective that, you know, oh, it's a picture of your kids in a crocodile pit. But you probably, you know, you know the situation when you were there. There were probably people taking care of you, probably people with, you know, um, you know, just understanding the crocodiles in ways that they can control them if something happens. So, yes, it's still a risk. But in life, everything involves a small amount of risk. It just depends on how much of that risk you're willing to take. Uh, we've been looking at just then about, you know, adventure trips and, you know, maybe activities you do when you're traveling and the element of risk there. And not even when you're traveling here on our own doorstep. You know, there are many activities here in the UAE. So, you know, measuring the risk and also being aware of safety so for one person they think oh, I could never do that well well I've trained for it I've I've learned how to do it and I'm also aware of making sure that all the safety systems are in place and I'm aware of the risk that I'm taking so you know if if you're walking down a road in a, an area that you know isn't so good in any city in the world and you walk down a dark alley and you think I know I'm walking down a dark alley. I know I'm a woman on my own. There's an element of danger to doing this, but it's the only way I need to, it's the way I have to go. But I'm aware of it. So that's one, that's a good thing. You're aware. It's when you walk down a dark alley and you're not even thinking that there's danger, potential danger. And that I think puts you hugely at risk. Yeah, you know, and that comes back to um, how you perceive the danger and how you look at it and what you're considering when you're looking at the danger. I mean, some things when you, when you, go through them you sort of you feel that mm, I'm not so sure if this is a good idea and the more research that you do the more knowledge that you gather the the more likely that's going to decrease but when you sort of just jump into something then you know that danger is high the risk is high the impulsivity is high and the lack of forethought or like you know the idea of not even considering the possibilities of, of the consequences that could be very dangerous as well now, people are texting in about relationships, relationships that they know are bad for them, but they're doing them anyway. Also, uh, when it comes to addiction and understanding the differences. So what is something where you're a thrill seeker or you take and do participate in activities that make you feel a certain way and you continue to do them? So there's all that kind of, I don't know, leisurely entertainment, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the thrill but when it comes to something that could lead to addiction, so understanding the definition of addiction, Dr. Thryer. Well, addiction um, is, it's a broad term, but what we usually think of when we talk about addiction is something that you do not have a choice over. It almost becomes something that you have to have and you cannot control it. And that, that's the main difference between an addiction and a habit is that you cannot control. It's not a choice that you make to, to be able to stop whatever it is that you're engaging in. And it has that sort of um, physiological change. It, can, it, it has a physiological change in you in that so you start to build a tolerance and that without it, you start to have withdrawal symptoms from it. So that's what we now are now considering to be an addiction. And things that you can be addicted to then. Um, and, you know, we've touched on some of them, you know, alcohol, um, drugs, recreational drugs, as they're called, um, prescription medication and drugs, um, shopping. You can be addicted to shopping. You can be addicted to gambling. Uh, there are what other addictions are there? 
Well, you know, that's that's the thing. Like we have uh, the idea of substance addiction versus behavioral addictions. And substance addictions are exactly what you were saying. Things like smoking cigarettes, even shisha, even, you know, like uh, drinking, um, uh, illegal substances, prescription medication, or behavioral, such as gambling. It could even be internet addiction. Uh, it could be social media addiction. Yeah. It could be, you know, it could be anything that... Um, that you just feel like you cannot live without. And one of the interesting things about, you know, when I sit with my friends and I notice that some of them all, all, all of a sudden they're on their phones and I say, you know, you should try going one day without your phone, see how that works out for you. Yeah. Just see, because we don't realize how much we are sort of um, dependent on our technology, on our uh, social networking, on, you know, th- that kind of interaction rather than the face-to-face. And when we put that, when we put our technology down, that's when we really start to feel it and we start itching like, hmm, I wonder what this person is doing and I wonder what this person said. And, but know. is that dangerous? Is, I mean, in that, that for that particular addiction, if it's an addiction, is that dangerous? It could be because, you know, when you're, when you're so much involved in technology, when you're so much involved in social media rather than face-to-face interactions, you become more secluded, you become more withdrawn, and you, and you start to lack the, social, the necessary social skills to interact with other people. So it could be dangerous. It's not necessarily always dangerous, but it could be depending on the amount of usage, the, the, depending on the dependency of social media. So it could be. Mm. And anything where you feel that dependent, yeah, you need to be maybe asking some questions. And also the time you're spending and it, you could be doing something else that could be far better for right. you, you know, physical activity, interacting with other people, socializing. So if we want to have balance in our lives as human beings and the psychology of human beings, we need that. We are social beings and we need to have interaction and face-to-face time with others. And that's the operative word right there. It's that balance. That balance is so key. There's nothing wrong with being on social media. There's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, going out with friends. There's nothing on wrong with doing things that you enjoy even video games or it's it's about how much you can balance and are you taking away from other things that are important in your life such as family or such as friendships as work are you taking from uh, away from other important things in your life just to satisfy the behavior or the the consumption of whatever you're having Mm, and is it just a mask a cover for not facing or doing other things that might be more productive or or useful Mm -hmm. Um, interesting isn't it Uh, relationships can be addictive uh, that could be dangerous as well Uh, somebody here is texting in about seeking the thrill in the relationship with others and and and, you know sometimes when people are going through changes in their life or even you know they're they're moving into older life we call it the middle life crisis Mm -hmm. whenever that happens but uh you know apparently it happens and this person's saying you know like maybe when you're 50 and you fall in love with somebody a woman that's 25 uh you can you convince that you've met the love of your life or the dream person but the others the other people around you see the dangers of such a relationship um what are your thoughts on that well, you know, relationships in general are a rush. They're a high. They're a thrill because they're new. They're exciting. They're they're um, they're fun. They're extremely fun. And and what happens with a lot of people is that they they love that initial. We call it the honeymoon phase. That initial part where you're showing your best side and you're doing things that are you know are exciting with each other and you're learning new things about each other. So that novelty is just so um, inviting. It's so thrilling. 
for many people that they want that over and over and over again. And so when it comes to somebody who's 50 falling in love with a 25-year-old, that idea is that it's something brand new, that it's something that's so um, uh, different than what he or she is used to. And it's it's about bringing something, um, because, you know, like spicing up your life, let's say. You know, but that's not necessarily the only way that you can do it. And that has to do with a lot of the relationships in general when it comes to relationships, the thrill of going from one person to another, the thrill of, of meeting one person, falling in love with many people. That is not actual, it's not a relationship. What that is, is just that you're looking for that thrill. It goes back to that sensation-seeking behavior that impulsive sensation-seeking behavior without really considering the consequences. But you can reward yourself. You can get that same high, that same thrill in other aspects that are not so detrimental to your life. Well, do you agree with that? Some might say, no, I'm never going to get any feeling quite like that. And uh, certainly when we come back, we'll be sharing a message with you from somebody else that is uh, going through something similar, you know, engaged, has a fiance, but nevertheless can't help seeking the attention of others and it's reciprocated as well. We'll share more on that story in more detail when we come back. Uh, coming back to the person who you know, is 50, 25-year-old, it's not necessarily anything wrong with that unless it's hurting other people. So if you're already in a relationship, if there's a threat of breaking up a family or indeed it's upsetting your family members around you. I'm not to say you don't do it. It's up to, you know, it's a personal choice, but they're the things you need to consider, I suppose. But it is right to, to question why. And that's what all of you are doing this morning, texting in, is exploring the dangers in our lives, understanding better the choices that we make, why we make those choices. 